Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Sean Magenis is the President and Chief Operating Officer of YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. YPO is a global community of chief executives dedicated to becoming better leaders through lifelong learning and idea exchange. He began his business career in management in South Africa with Farmag Limited and Dow Limited, now one of the country's largest producers of agricultural chemicals. After moving to Canada in 1990, he founded an organizational development consulting and human resources business, as well as an executive search business with grew to encompass operations in Canada, the USA, and Mexico, serving thousands of clients. Seen as the past international, or sorry, Sean is the past international chairman of the Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and he played a key role in EO's North American and global expansion for over 16 years. He's also been a goodwill ambassador in discussions with various government agencies, including the State Department. He's also an active member and past chair of the YPO Dallas chapter and Sean and I were on a global committee gosh a long time ago probably 20 years ago now for uh, EO on yep. a forum so Sean welcome to the second in command podcast thanks very much Cameron great to be here with you yeah it's interesting you um you were chairing this this uh, forum committee for EO and we were sitting down and debating I remember at the time I think we were talking about spousal forums as being this new initiative and it, yeah. everyone was really wondering whether it was going to be a good initiative or not and lots of good debate but you've been playing this kind of role where you've been largely involved in running nonprofits or businesses other than yourselves for a long time how how did you I guess balance that with um, with running your own companies and also maybe just give us a little primer on on what YPO is as well Absolutely. Well, you know, it, it, it has been a fa fascinating journey. And I, I'll answer your first question uh, first, because I, I came to the volunteer world and the nonprofit world um, very early. And I, I was very fortunate. And, and I know you have been too. Very early in my career, I just qualified my company for EO, just re reached the million dollar sales mark. And it had taken me about three and a half years to get there. Uh, bootstrapped it all on my own, no no debt, no borrowings, literally sale by sale, at night generating invoices, borrowing. You know, in those days we had the, uh, you know, we didn't have laptops. I mean, I had a big clunky, uh, you know, IBM desktop yeah. computer that you virtually needed a freight train to bring into the office. But, um, you know, one of the things I learned in that journey, and I was introduced to, to EO through a group of YPO members, was and immediately got told that I was going to volunteer to help run and on an unpaid basis uh, a group, a peer group of young entrepreneurs that were building their businesses, grinding it out, you know, with the same struggles. And I got so much, Cameron, out of that experience because being in a group of individuals who were going through almost the identical pains, whether it was factoring your 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 payroll or you know collect collections, um, your marketing, hiring your first employee, your second, your third, um, moving into a new market, you know, moving into a new country, all of those things having never done them before. You can read them all, you know, and, and your business school teaches all of these various. Um, things to you from a um, from more of an academic perspective, living through it is a different matter. And sure. so, having the alignment with this, this group of volunteers really, I, I became addicted to volunteering. And so, once my business had uh, qualified for YPO at the time, YPO's qualifications were about ten million in annual sales, and I'd run through um, sixteen years of EO. Uh, it was a natural progression for me, and. So, yeah, for over 23 years now, um, volunteering for the nonprofit peer group has just been a central, pivotal contributor to my own personal success, personal learnings. I met my wife, funnily yep. enough, through, yeah. uh, through EO, and she was the daughter of a YPO, the single greatest benefit that I received. Um, <laughs> But, you know, to put it back in the context of YPO, for the last five years, I've been a YPO member since 2007. 
for the last five years, I've been on the management team of YPO. Yeah. Two YPOs that run it. We have a CEO who's a 26, 27 year YPO member. Um, and myself is his number two. Uh, we have a very active uh, volunteer board of 17 highly successful CEOs. They, they, they literally spend a three-year board term. Um, and then we have a governance structure in the organization of about 150 members um, from around the world. YPO today, to answer your third question, is we're over 27,600 members in 135 countries, 460 chapters. Um, we have over 17 million employees across the membership companies. It's incredible. And yeah, and we're closing on $9 trillion in, in member company sales. So it's become, it's become a significant business. And even though it's a nonprofit with a strong focus on providing learning and a platform for members to interact with each other within this, what we call our safe haven, which really is a confidential um, structure where when you put members together, um, it's a highly personalized, highly um, uh, confidential environment that we create for them. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's become a, it's, it's become a, a fairly complex, um, but extremely, extremely exciting uh, organization to be a part of from the inside. You know, so I have the benefit of having been the recipient of member value and services now, you know, having the, the privilege of, you know, at an inflection point, 68-year-old organization where we now have to be relevant in the 21st century with all of the things that your CEOs and your audience are, are facing. Massive disruption, tech disruption, digitalization, fourth industrial revolution going on, mm -hmm. you know, continuous uh, globalization. And then how do you, you know, how do you create a culture, um, you know, where, you, where you've got the the underpinnings both on process, efficiency, all of your back office, and yet you're not leaving your customer behind because the customer is the most important thing. Well, and, and you guys are not, as you just pointed out with some of the numbers, you're not running a small organization, like 27,600 members worldwide, right. 135 countries. The yep. world right now is littered with mastermind groups for entrepreneurs. You know, yep. there's just dozens and dozens of these groups of entrepreneurs and, and YPO is clearly the highest level. Um, and, and you're not just the entrepreneur. You, you also do the, the um, hired gun president or CEO. You're Correct. kind of the top person in organizations. Um, how, do you, how do you get these people, the men and women who are members of YPO globally? And I have a client who's in YPO in Thailand, and he said his chapter accounts for 37% of the GDP of the country. Yes. Like you're dealing with the real player, real company CEOs. How do you get them to come and join an organization like this and be vulnerable? How do you, how do you teach CEOs at this level to be vulnerable and open and, and willing to learn? Yeah, and it's, that's a fantastic question. You know, the key for us is we do it through member-to-member -member interaction or member-to-prospect interaction. The key for us is, you know, it built into the DNA of the organization is the spirit of volunteering and the spirit of openness and humility. A lot of it stems from the work that comes out of the forum product that you were speaking about when we first started speaking. Forum was something that YPO introduced 46 years ago now which is really a very intimate gathering of 10 to 12 members from non-competing companies who get together once, um, once a month for four or five hours. And it's a highly scripted, moderated experience where you have one of the members who actually leads and moderates the group. You get trained to do that. And the purpose of forum is so that you can bring your entire self into the forum um, nothing that gets discussed in the forum is allowed to be disclosed to anybody outside the forum. If you disclose that, you're invited to leave the forum. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's very rigidly maintained. And so what happens is after a period of time, you as an individual forum participant bring all of your issues to the table. It starts out business and you get business issues solved. You're not allowed to give advice in forum. You, need, you speak from experience. And that's one of the key drivers that I'll anchor in on on a moment is that YPO members get trained to speak from experience, which is very different to advice giving. So somebody that's been through, let's just say a business failure, 
a massive business failure, where there was a bankruptcy, or there was a, a massive turnaround, or the individual had to put the, a month's payroll on their credit card or mortgage their property, and then how they got out of that, how they solved that business problem, all of those things get disclosed very personally, very truthfully within forum, because there's a guarantee that what gets said in that room stays in the room. So that authenticity, that sort of humility, that egoless, you know, ability to safely share what's, you know, what's happening in your life, that starts to permeate through the whole organization. So you will hear the same, the same occurs in EO. You will hear members say, I'd like you to hold this conversation that we're having under the, under the guidelines of forum confidentiality. What that yep. means to those on the inside is, I'm telling it like it is, and I expect you to hold that, um, that, that in confidence. And so it's not a legally binding um, framework, but it's part of the DNA of the organization. So when we go out and attract members, um, prospective members, we very often lead with the concept of what would it be like if you were to meet with another group of very successful CEOs, um, the same age as you, younger than you, older than you, and what if you were able to learn all the lessons that that mm. individual had learned in their business career and in their personal lives in a manner that's truly authentic, that's based on trust, that's factual, and that's real, and you're getting it from the person that lived through that, would that, would that be a useful experience uh, for you or, yeah. or an opportunity for you? I have very seldom had a qualifying prospect say no to that invitation. Yeah, that invitation is huge. Powerful, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's funny. I'm sitting there listening to it. I'm going, wow, yeah, of course. Like, just sign you up, right? Yeah. And then, you know, it's about, it's also about the whole person. So we know, you and I both know as CEOs, um, as presidents of organizations, that we, we not only bring up our business responsibilities and accountabilities to the table, we bring our personal lives to the table. We bring yeah. our own desires you know, one of the one of the things that we've migrated to at, at YPO over the years is we know that a lot of our members, once they've achieved a certain amount of success, they want to give back or they want to impact their community. They want to do something that's socially good. They want to change the world in some positive way. And so we also now provide a platform for those of our members who want to have a significant impact. Um, outside of, you know, the pure sort of profit generation um, uh, desires when you first, you know, get into a business, more and more of our members, Cameron, are playing multiple roles, whether it's giving back in their community, leading in politics, impacting through some technology or through philanthropic giving, you know, and, and really starting to have an impact on the world. And so I'll talk a little bit about the strategy and the evolution of where the organization is going and how we need to provide in an ecosystem. And I use the word ecosystem because we don't feel we, we, we need to own the peer-to-peer -peer space. Yeah. If we're really good with our defined constituent group and we really help them and provide opportunities for access to learning, to each other, to great thought leadership, to great institutional relationships with universities and, and thought leadership around the world, create a place for young children and spouses to, to work within this and collaborate together. We can collaborate, you know, across a variety of different ecosystems to really help make the world a better place at the end of the day. For sure. And business makes the world go round. We all know that, right? It all comes down to business hiring, you know, whether it's in the for-profit business sector or the, uh, or the non-for-profit business sector. Well, I'm curious how you're taking some of the skills and lessons that, that YPO has really ingrained in building the forum experience and the chapter experiences. What tools do you take from the, the forum kind of experience or the YPO membership experience and bring into your business? You know, do you, do you yeah. take that, that confidentiality in? Do you take the bringing your whole self in? What, what do you bring in and how do you bring those in? Yeah, I mean, again, a, a great question. I, I so, never thought, I never even thought of that before, even after like 20 odd years of being around yeah. EO and YPO. I never thought about it until just now. In fact, we have a product in YPO called Forum in Business. And, you know, part of that is taking some of the key tenants of Forum transparency, honesty, authenticity, you know, parking your ego, um, equality, 
you know, part of forum is the process of forum because you're talking mm. from experience, not from uh, advice giving, is suspending judgment. So how do you help? It, it's such a beautiful thing, right? When it's you a huge tool. Those, huge. And even if you just follow the basic principles of listen before responding, really assess your own, you, you know, how are you feeling? Is the hair going back? You know, you're sitting in a business meeting, you know, you've, it's been a tough quarter, you're, you're looking to blame or you're expecting somebody to blame things on you. Forum, the forum principles teach you to kind of sit back, breathe, listen, evaluate utilizing data and fact, not jump in with a defensive comment or a critical comment. It really helps you suspend some of those basic things that are, by the way, natural human reactions. Yeah. These are just physio physiological reactions. But the discipline of the forum techniques helps you identify what those are and then helps you as an individual, and I'll use my experience, it's helped me tremendously partition the physiological reaction from the, what is the reality? What am I hearing? How does that play you know, to the data that I have at hand? So building those structures and those disciplines, very powerful in an organization. So, so do you take those tools and those structures and teach them to your employees? And, and if you do teach them to your employees, how do you teach them so they understand that same yeah. experience? Because I think that's where it can be really powerful, can't it? Yeah, so it's done in different ways. I mean, you know, we don't... Um, so at YPO, for our employee group, every single employee is part of the orientation gets trained in how to participate in a forum. Okay. So they go through the full training that a member would go through and they yeah. experience that in a small group. Now, they're not a YPO forum. So, you know, it's because the YPO forum is a true peer-to-peer -peer forum. Yeah. In an organization, what you want to do is tease out those applicable principles because you're not in a peer group. You may have a supervisor, you know, with a subordinate, you know, with, you know, in a matrix organization with another, you know, yeah member of a different team, but as long as the principal foundations are adhered to in terms of how you structure a meeting, you know, what you discuss in a meeting, how you discuss, the timekeeping, the record keeping, the speak from experience, the use of data and fact, suspending critique and judgment, um, those foundational things work perfectly within the constructs of, you know, managing a business. Yeah, it's funny. I just started listening to some of what you're saying and I, I thinking to the book that I wrote, Meeting Suck, and how much of what I pulled from Forum, I actually pulled into the meeting structures almost by osmosis. I was thinking about yeah. the moderator, the timekeeper, and the parking lot, and those are right out of, out of uh, the Forum experience. Right um, out of the Forum experience. And really, but at the, at the, at the outset, so much of business today you know, the best CEOs that I've met, and I've met like you thousands and thousands and thousands over the last, you know, 24 years. The best CEOs are the ones that can clearly articulate their values, their own personal values, mm. you know, show up as authentic human beings, human first, business second, you know, yeah. operative second. And within forum, that foundational principle of sharing your values, your hopes, your dreams, some of your frailties, and even for CEOs, obviously there's a boundary and there's a line, and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to share with your employees, you know, that you know you're you've got terminal cancer, you know, when you're leading a publicly traded company without informing your shareholders first and sure. you know, having all yeah. the risk mitigation strategies involved. But if you can clearly commit to sharing your values in a way that says, "Here's who I am, and I care for you at the human level," step one, massive. Massive, right? Yeah. You know, because that, I mean, we spend so much time together in an organization that has to be a, a core first step. I led, a, I led a session at the COO Alliance event. I run kind of the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. And I, I had a session that was very impromptu about a year ago where I was, I was going through a really tough day, frankly, and I was having a bit of a shitty month. <laughs> and yeah. I remember looking at the group going, God, I don't even want to sit and talk to you and lead you through this next exercise because my life kind of it was shitty right then. And I, I was looking at the group and I thought to myself, you know what, I'll bet you every single person in the room is struggling with something right now as well. So I had everybody write down one thing they were deeply struggling with on a post-it note. And we all passed around the post-it notes and shuffled them up and read them out loud. Mm. And man, it was powerful to see 30 different people in tears when they realized how much everybody else was struggling. And this just I think it's just part of the human condition that every employee Absolutely. is showing up with the same shit we are, right? 
Yes. And, you know, Cameron, in today's world, you know, where we're, you know, we have employees whose families are, you know, employees here in the United States whose families are living in emerging market countries where there's civil war, whether it's in Syria or whether it's in the Middle East or Africa, or even just on our, you know, in our board, you know, just south of the border here in the United States, in Mexico, where there are certain environments that, you know, are very troubling just to survive, you know, is massive. So they're carrying their accountability load within the organization and obviously expectations, et cetera. But we all have lives in the background. And so those forum constructs enable you to understand that first and foremost, you're dealing with a human being. The second aspect of forum, which is so profound and so pertinent to business, is 100% commitment, 100% commitment to your obligations that you sign up for in joining a forum. Now, my forum, I'm allowed to miss two meetings a year. We're an older group. You know, people have, you know, travel, have homes around different parts of the world. And so, you know, in my, in my younger days, we had to attend every single forum meeting once a month. Otherwise, you were invited out of the forum. In the business context, when you're, in, when you're working in teams, the commitment is 100% commitment to show up to each other. Foundational, right? Interesting. You know, and then you've got the protocols. So then you've got the speaking protocols. You know, when you speak, you know, it's, it's got to be, it, you know, it's got to be from a factual data-based foundation. How many businesses do you and I know where it's a lot of knee-jerk, shiny new balls, you know, you sweep the reality under the carpet. The best businesses, defined process, utilization of data. Obviously, you, want, you don't want that to kill creativity. You still want creativity yep. and innovation. And, you know, you want to you, you, you fail, you know, you want to fail fast, but you want to have this culture of, you know, come on, let's go for it. Let's transform and let's do that continuously. You still need the underpinnings. So I was, I was talking yesterday to somebody about the underpinnings of a business changing. And I was saying that, we've evolved like in a business, a business evolves like a human evolves. So I'm, I'm going to guess, John, that you're 57 years old. Um, no. <laughs> younger? Or? Just turned 54, by the way. Okay, so you're only a year older than me. Good, okay. You're only, I always thought you were more mature than I was. Oh my gosh, you're seeing my gray hair, but no. I'm okay, good. So you're 54. So I'm, I'm 53. I'm 53. I just always assumed that you were the uh, the wise elder. So when you were four years old and when you were 14 and when you were 24 and 34 and 44, you were still Sean Magenis, but you were a very different version of yourself. Of course. How do you think a company has to evolve and how have you uh, worked to evolve companies as they grow and as they kind of go through the, the teenage, adolescent, adult um, phases? What, what needs to change? Gosh, you know, that's such a broad question and it has so many, it has so many nuances to it, but I'll use, you know, I'll use, you know, I'll use YPO, for example, as, sure. a, um, you know, as a, as an example, you know, you, you, you take an organization that's, you know, 68 years old that started out really more of as, as an association model and as it grew, so it started. So, you know, so the, the demographics got older, you know, uh, the average age of our total membership today is 50 years old, you know, but in order to get into YPO, you have to be under 45. Um, we recruit most of our members in the age of about 35 to 42. So the, the average age of a new recruit is closer to 40. But because we have a, a whole group of individuals that's, you know, that's over 50 years old and growing because we have a very high retention rate, Mm -hmm. Our industry, we have a, a 94, 95 plus percent retention rate, which is every business would, would give their right arm. Die, die for that, sure. They'd die for that, right? Um, you know, so it, it, it's meant that during, during certain phases of the business's growth and development that you'd have to really take a very close look at where you, firstly, you've got to position yourself and you've got to really understand your business um, comparatively to the market. And obviously, there are a number of key drivers there. You know, are you getting year-on-year -year growth? Has, has your growth stagnated? What is your demographic? You know, is there any price sensitivity to the pricing points for your product or your service? Um, you know, there's a whole series of business metrics. Yep. That each business has a unique set of business metrics. And then, obviously, you've got competitors or comparatives that you can go in and compare to. In our, in our sphere, we follow about 110 companies. 
not necessarily just strictly core competitors, but more and more we're following online communities, we're following virtual communities. Wow. Uh, we have a whole team, Cameron, that's looking at, you know, and, and really listening to our membership, right? So we've, in the last year and a half, we've spent a lot of time listening to, holding focus groups um, with the millennial population. And then the next group that's coming up, sure, uh, you know, post-millennial post group, because part of it is how do you remain relevant? We know from our, you know, we, our oldest member is 97 years old, our youngest member is 22. We know from the older demographic what's important to them. And we know that there's a lot of stickiness there because people that, you know, have come through our, our ranks and, you know, who've had a great experience with us, um, our, our fees are relatively low. They, they, they know how to extract, extract value from the products and services that we put together. Yep. Built lifelong friendships. So imagine asking, imagine, you know, you and I saying, well, I'm no longer going to pay my EO dues or YPO dues. And yet, you know, 78, 80% of the people that I spend most of the time in my life outside of business who become my dear friends are all part of my network. Part of that network, sure. I, you know, it's so the, the stickiness is, is, is very important. And it's different in our sense because we are a membership organization. We are nonprofit. We're not gouging our members. We're not taking advantage of them in terms of trying to create uh, revenue. We live off our, um, off our due subscriptions. Um, we don't have any other uh, profit centers within the within the organization by design and by choice. Yeah, that's always that's, been extraordinary to me for sure. You know, then then you know the other part of the question is how do we, you know, how do we how do we create what changes in the fundamentals? I don't think the fundamentals change that much. I think what changes is the environment in which your business is operating. You know, whether it's whether it's the economic environment, the global environment. You know, the different things that are happening, the stresses that are out there, the fundamentals, if you look at any business, and I, I'll say this with a high degree of confidence because I've seen a lot of businesses, I've seen turnarounds, I've seen, I spend a lot of time with a, with a variety of different company CEOs, as you know. Yeah. And, you know, the foundation elements of getting process right, communication right, transparency clearly understanding and, and setting a vision and a purpose and a mission and aligning your whole team towards those, those constructs. They stay. I think they stay. Yeah. You know, it's just the nuances. And then the most critical thing, which doesn't change, which it will never change in a business is that every business is heavily reliant on every single person in a business. Do those constructs and those, do those foundational pieces that you you listed off, do they stay consistent in you know, all of those 135 countries as well, or most of, or does it change in any, are there any countries that you're doing business in where those things just don't work or they're vastly, or there's something different? You know, I think that there are absolutely cultural nuances, right? I mean, every country has slightly different cultural nuances, but the, found, the foundational business practices, if you look at what we learned from Japan, when, when Japan taught us, you know, the, the quality parameters, you know, we, after the second world war, you know, we went in and there was the Marshall plan and we did all this rebuilding, you know, and you know, you, you, you started to see, we, we were giving all, let's say we were giving all our IP, but look at what's coming. Look at what came back to us from Japan. Yeah. Look at what's coming back to us from China. now. It's incredible. You know, even though, you know, there seems to be this prejudicial, conversation or very highly loaded conversation and I'm not going to take sides in this one because that could take us three years to decipher right but there's always there's always a point in time where you know the once the foundation is set and you know people expect quality people expect on time people want what they want and they'll and they'll particularly in an environment that's not socialist or communist they'll pay for they it vote with their dollar they vote with yep. their pocketbook so one thing I, I noticed, I was talking to a, um, a YPO in Kenya and he was talking about how what's important to employees and what a company needs to focus on is different in North America or in Kenya and in that region of Africa versus North America. And I said, well, in what way? He said, our employees are going home and we're not ever sure if they're able to feed their family. Yep. That's a big one. And he said, North Americans don't really think about that. 
They don't yep. really, they're all trying to give their employees a better workplace and a foosball table and free massages and right. you know, alignment, alignment with core purpose. And he goes, if I'm not sure that my families are being fed. And then he said, we started to realize that if we paid the men more money, the assumption was the money was going home to the families and it wasn't. So what we started to do is at the end of the day, we gave them the male who was working food to bring physical food home to the family because we knew they couldn't spend the food at a bar. Um, And it was just interesting to see that kind of a cultural shift. So do you pick up any of those things culturally or have you picked up any cultural things that are happening globally and brought them back into your business or... Well, you know, we have. I know to, it's another you know, broad question. No, no, we we do. Um, you know, we have we have three hundred and sixty full time employees spread around the world. Seventy five percent of our employees are women, by the way, and fifty percent mm. of my C suite um, are women, and very diverse, diverse cultures. Sure. So, you know, in certain in certain parts of the world in which we operate, we need to make sure that our employees can actually get safely from their home to the workplace and back again. Yeah, we don't think about that in North America. We all jump in our cars here in Dallas and we head home, and you know, you know, it's you, you know, you, it's totally different. Um, you know, we operate in certain cultures where you know they are still very male-dominated society, yeah. and you know where we stand for equality and we stand for you know full diversity across all the diversity spectrums, not just gender. Um, and we, we plant a stake and we say, you know, we're going to have members that rep- are representative of every community in the world. Yeah. Um, we have to, you know, we have to take into consideration and be patient and work through without sacrificing our stand and being in integrity with our stand. We have to work with the rules that we're given. Right. Yeah. You, know, you go to Singapore um, and you operate a business in Singapore, um, you you know, you can't afford to break any rules in right. Singapore. No. You go to certain other countries in the world, there are no rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how do you help your membership and how do you... So, yes, we take... Obviously, you learn from that. Um, and I don't think there's a culture or a business that we can't learn something from. If we stop learning and experimenting, then I think this grand, you know incredible, you know, societal world that we, that we live in grind store halt. What do you think your biggest skills are as a COO or as a leader? You know, it's changed over time. Uh, and I think, you know, I think the, uh, a good executive is constantly learning. Mm. Um, I think as a COO, um, you know, which is a, a number two position, which I'm in for the first time in my life, by the way, mm-hmm. I know, yeah. five years, and it's been an unbelievably rewarding experience. One, I'm blessed with an unbelievable uh, CEO who comes from the classic, you know, was a, a, was a hired gun, um, a real technical, financial, um, detailed CEO. Almost more, uh, like a C, almost more like a COO than a CEO. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, has, has run I guess very, have to very complex businesses. Yeah. Um, and, and when you have somebody like me who's a complete entrepreneur, or was a complete entrepreneur, you know, I had to retool some of those skill sets. So I think the, the, the important thing um, that I've learned is, one, particularly also in an organization like YPO, you've got to learn to park your ego at the door. Yeah. What doesn't work in a peer group or in a relationship between a CEO and a, and a COO is having, you know, either both of you or one of you um, allow your ego to get in the way. So ego management, so difficult to do hmm. and takes time. Um, and that's something, you know, that, that certainly I've tried to work on um, and, and have got a tremendous, a lot better at it. Coaching and, and, Coordination, I think, are fundamental um, 21st century skill sets for a CEO uh, today and a COO. You know, you've got to be able to direct and coach and influence without direct accountability, particularly as your organization gets bigger, right? You know, when you're a sole practitioner or you've got five or 10 employees and you're still sort of able to roll up your sleeves and do most of it, um, it's um, it's more hands-on. You've got to be able to think more strategically and become a dot connector. Mm. Uh, and then problem solving, you know, and, and that comes with experience. I am way more capable, Cameron, today at 54 years old 
you know, in solving problems because I've seen so many problems. You know, it's one thing to apply, um, you know, intellect. And I know some very smart 22-year-olds that can probably solve certain problems way more effectively than I can. But when you're dealing with human nature, um, when you're dealing with problems that are, are not necessarily financial or technical, that mm -hmm. are more nuanced, that require patience, that require negotiation, that require, you know, bringing a disparate, disparate group of stakeholders together, Vendor negotiations today require a huge degree of skill set because, yeah. you know, your digital proficiency in negotiation, all of those nuances require CEOs to upskill on a, on a consistent basis. It's interesting. You're talking about all the soft skills that in some ways I used to take for granted. I was really exposed to a lot of this stuff at College Pro Painters years ago when I was with College yeah, Pro sorry, and opening up the West Coast of College Pro. and. We yep. really worked hard at growing our people. I remember Greg Clark, the founder, and Greg was a YPO member. Greg used to say that the leader's job is to grow people. And, yep. um, and he obsessed about how can we grow our people? How can we grow our people? What you're talking about now, I think, is even infinitely more important than it used to be because the speed of business is faster. You know, we, we used to have, we, we, as you said, <laughs> we would, I remember my first computer was an IBM 8086. I, and I, I would literally have to pick it up and move it somewhere. So you didn't, you slept it on your desk. Business is so fast now that I think the soft skills leadership is probably more important than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how are you growing your team at YPO and how have you grown it in past companies you've run? So, you know, the clear, the, the key thing obviously is to have, you know, a very defined, you know, talent and career path. You know, when a person comes in, obviously they come in with a baseline, they come in with the experiences that they have, the skill sets, the resumes, and they're in a particular role with a particular set of objectives. So, you know, from a developmental standpoint, you know, it's very important to understand what they come in with and then also to understand very early on what their desires are for future contribution because everybody comes in knowing that they have to do X, Y, and Z and they get their two-year plan and they get their team. But it's very important to transparently understand, to collect and gather you know, where an individual is, what they, what they personally want to do in the construct of your organization, and then even mm -hmm. further, and then to create the conditions for that. You know, one of the struggles that I've had in, in this business and in previous businesses is when you have relatively um, uh, uh, flat, when you have a relatively flat organization where, they're not a lot of, where, where there's not a lot of room to move, yep. how do you keep a person, you know, stimulated, rewarded, and growing where you know they may hit the ceiling and there may not be a role for them elsewhere in the organization within a three to four year time frame. So, and so the key is to maximize that time that they're with you. Okay, so you're touching on something that I've been trying to, to wrap my head around recently and it's, it's the Gen Y, the second half of the Gen Y cohort. So really we're talking about the, um, the 23 to 30 year olds currently today. Because yep. um, I think Gen Y currently is 23 to 39 approximately. So how do you get this next, the, the second half of Gen Y, the 22 to 30-year-old-ish 30, group, how do you keep them loyal to an organization? YPO seems to have done a pretty good job with that, where your team doesn't transition as fast. Or, or is, that a, is that a legacy feeling from... No, no, no. I think that's still fairly accurate. I think, you know, our turnover, you know, is in the sort of 20, 25 Listen, I think turnover is healthy too. I, mm -hmm. Part of my dilemma in, my, in the early days of my business is I came from the old school. I watched my father, same career, two, you know, two careers, but just to you know, 20 and 25 years, something like that, right? So sure. I came from that school of I'm going to stay and I'd try to build my businesses around that. So I'd take a person in a junior role, I'd, I'd look after them, I'd, you know, I'd accept weaknesses, I'd mitigate for it. And, you end up you end up building almost what what I would call a bloated structure. I I did that twice, you know, because there, I I built this loyalty and and what I found was when I, while I thought I was helping the individual, I was actually harming the individual. Wow! Because I wasn't really I wasn't really giving that individual the opportunity to be the, the best that they could be for me and be totally fulfilled and maximize their potential. Now, I'm just using, I mean, there are a multitude of examples here, but in, in one particular example, you know, I over-promoted an individual, got to the point where, you know, this person, you know, was, 
was getting paid more than you know a um, a junior level contributor that was doing three times what the individual was doing. Right. Yeah. And you know, I think we all make those mistakes. So yeah. one is clearly understanding you know the current role requirements. You know, having a really good simple simple and continuous feedback loops because the last thing you want to do with a 22 or 23 year old is not give them regular weekly or monthly or, or regular feedback because they're very into their personal development. You know, the old way of, you know, every six months sitting down doing a review, how are you? Managers today need to be talking to their employees, their subordinates almost weekly in terms of, of making sure that they're effectively supported, doing what they're expected to do, um, you know, and that they're fulfilled in their role. Purpose is another big one. I find that a lot of younger people today, Cameron, will not work for an organization unless they clearly align their value set with the purpose and values of the organization. That sounds like a truism, um, or it may sound trite, but I can tell you that in, in our organization, in others that I closely work with, I sit on the board, the boards of a number of companies, um, that's a very big attractor. Mm. And, and so often we think that, you know, you've got to pay top dollar. If you don't get your values right, in fact, if your values are right, the conditions of employment are right, you care for your people, you give them, you give them upside. And by the way, if they do leave because, you know, there isn't a role for them in the organization, when they leave, you've prepared them so well, you've given them the tools, you've given them the right sort of examples they'll go on and be your advocate That's right. way longer past their employment with you than you will believe. And there's statistics behind this. That's, that's such a huge point for entrepreneurs and for leaders to actually understand is that our job isn't to try to keep people forever. Our job exactly. is to, get, like, to, to grow them and keep them for as long as they're useful and they're having fun and we're having fun and, and then set them free almost like we're growing our children, right? Our job is not to keep our kids at home forever either. 100%. I love that analogy. That, that I have found, truly, I find that I, I have found, I find that to be, and, 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 and I have, you know, verifiable data that we can back that up. And then there's the classic, right? We, we do something in YPO. You've got to measure what you're looking. You've, you've got to measure what you're looking for. So we do engagement surveys and we look very clear. We do it by department. We slice and dice it in a number of different ways. And we'll see, you know, this department's not doing great. Well, what are, the, what are the ratings on the manager? Boy, the impact of a manager's behavior is so profound on, their, on the people that are reporting to them. Um, it's a direct correlation to, um, to success. You look at the work that Michael Bush is doing in, um, in the best companies to work for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the CEO there, and you look at the statistics. You look at Fortune's list of, of best places to work. You look at, the, you know, at, their, at their research on leadership. It all boils down to, you know, particularly, you know, for for the younger individual, the person leading them, mentoring them, guiding them. And that's where we spend a lot of our time with our managers, teaching them, training them. I spend a lot of time, and as do our C-suite individuals, coaching, you know, a level down or two levels, two levels down, mentoring Great. another one. How do, you, how do you learn, right? It's it's interesting. You keep going back to the data a lot as well, and and how data data making decisions is that something that is a new skill for you, or was that yeah. is, no? It's a new it's, or does that well, happen as the company it's a, scales? It's an evolving skill that's evolved over the last ten years. Um, I was in businesses that were very data heavy. You know, building low income housing. You need to you know it's an engineered product. You have to be on top of all the detail. But in business like a uh, professional services business, which really YPO is, um, and how we're modeling ourselves, you know, data is the lifeblood of our business. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding what your member needs are, understanding, you know, where the markets are, the cultural differences, the nuances in different chapters and regions, uh, what's working and what isn't, the effectiveness and the outcome of certain events that we run. You know, we're putting on a mergers and acquisitions seminar, and, you know, we're getting a, you know, we're getting a net promoter score of, you know, 10 as opposed to 90, we're doing something wrong. Wow. Yeah, very much. Yeah. I, I, I love that you're using it. Do you ever allow your gut to overrule the data or do you just trust the data <sighs> or, or dig you're for more data? You're a person that operates a lot on, 
uh, on EQ and yeah, yeah. emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, that is a strong suit of mine. I have learned that if I go to data first and I sleep on my gut reaction, I it it it's a kind of it's it's more it's more a fifty fifty or sixty forty in favor of of the data today. Yeah, and what I'm finding is if bad. if my gut's trying to overrule the data, I go look for more data. Yeah, and and the the data will will sometimes will play out and either change to yeah. prove my gut, or the data will just start to really slide in the favor that my gut was just wrong. And also, I've learned, you know, that the leadership journey doesn't need to be a lonely journey. Yeah, um, I'm blessed with an incredible, uh, you know, group of individuals that I can go to for advice. Um, from their experience, right? I can pick up the phone and talk to a CEO who's running a, you know, three hundred million dollar business, roughly the size of our business today, and say, "How have you dealt with this issue? How have you worked with a board? What are your compliance things? You know, how do you need to? What sort of, what sort of um, uh, experience have, have you had in this different area?" And I can get an instant answer, or two or three different answers, calibrate. And then make my decision. Yeah, well, I've never been smart enough to figure it out on my own anyway. So I like the rip off and duplicate. Why would I try to figure it out when I'm sitting with a forum group of ten people who have already figured it out? And then on a way you've got the info, you know, on a way you've been where you've been helped, right? I mean, yeah. part of part of part of the authenticity of of um, and I authenticity is a loaded word, but let's just say the integrity of of leadership is also not necessarily taking the credit, even though you're the deciding force and the buck stops with you, or in my case, the buck stops with Scott. He backs me up, by the way, 100% in my decisions. That's the other important part which we didn't discuss is how two people who are running an organization support each other. Um, and what sort of rules should be in place and commitments. Let's uh, let's touch on that a little bit before, because yeah. I, I want to wrap up with a closing question, but let's Absolutely. touch on that. How do you stay in sync with the CEO and how does the CEO stay in sync with you and how do you just decide roles and responsibilities between the two of you? Because it is kind of a two in the box. Communication, agreement, and agreement. I mean, we sit down, uh, we do days away together, um, which are just spectacular. Um, we do a lot of forum stuff. Start with a start with a softer interpersonal. How are you doing? What's happening? You know, really get connected as people. We really we we look at authority matrices. We you know we're very open um, in terms of discussing what's working and what isn't. We have a format that we follow, kind of a baseline agenda. Um, we share our views openly without critique. Um, we we agree to disagree, but when we leave that room, we're hundred percent aligned. I'm very, we're very clear on our roles. Once a year we sit down and we said, okay, how's, how are we doing on our roles? You know, my commitment to my CEO is I'm a vision amplifier. I'm an executor. I, I'm not in the limelight. I am not the ultimate accountability individual. And I had to get real clear with that camera mm, because for 25 years of my life, I was. You were, sure. But you've got to, it's got to be openly discussed and agreed to, you know, um, the definition of decision-making rights, what's appropriate and what is appropriate, you've got to get clear on that. If there's any gray in that area, you're going to butt heads. Yeah. And on, on the flip side, I need support. I, I don't need to have anybody utilizing a back door to countermand a decision. So, you know, if there's a back door, I've got to be told about it. If somebody, I, and, and this isn't about restricting um, people from meeting. We have a very clear, open, um, uh, uh, authority that anybody can talk to me or the CEO, Scott's direct reports, my direct reports can go, but we inform each other. And you create, if you create the culture of, of we're going to be very openly open, transparent, unless it's a, you know, it's a, it's a private issue and it's highly confidential or it's something to do with, um, with something that may, maybe of a legal nature where confidentiality is important. Fine. You know, we, we all understand that and we know what those business rules are. Um, but that's very, very key. That's and then good. any changes that come up, um, you know, or um, we have a commitment to each other that, that, that if, if, if we for one minute suspect that there or feel that something isn't right, we pick up the phone. Yeah, you it know, sounds communication, communication, down, right? Communication, communication, yeah. agreement, and then telegraphing it to the rest of the company. When we go out, and we do this consistently. We'll sit in our senior team leadership, hey, 
you haven't been CCing Scott, you haven't been CCing Sean, I just want to remind you, you know, we're a partnership, you know, here's how we expect to be communicated with, and it's reinforcement. Huge. And once you get into that rhythm, it takes time, uh, and it takes the right combination of people. It's not easy. Um, but if you get it right, uh, and I feel we've got it, you know, we've got it 99%. Um, so I've, know, got, I've got one, one closing question for you. Yeah. Yep. If we were to, to, to rewind back to the, um, you know, the, the early days of your career as a CEO or really early days of your career as a COO, what's something that you've really, really learned that you've really gotten good at that you wish you'd known earlier on? What's a lesson that you wish someone had told you or you could tell yourself as a you know, 20-something entrepreneur? I would not rush any type of communication, interaction, with key, with key employees. You, I've learned to take time. In, in the old days, you know, it was ready, fire, aim, ready, fire, aim, one thing to the next to the next. And the, what happens with that is you, you lose connectivity and you don't establish relationship. Yeah. So my brother uses an interesting term. He says, you've got to make deposits in order to make a withdrawal. It's true. You've got to make deposits in order to make withdrawals. And that, you know, I think of that statement 10 times a week. And so it's, you know, the more you put into individuals, um, the more that you'll be able to have them respect, trust, forgive you, give you a little bit of leeway and slack because we know that the world is messy. We know that business is messy. Business is never a straight line, right? No. That old adage of the hockey stick going up, it's a whole bunch of little wrinkles and swivels and ups and downs. And hopefully the trajectory is in the right direction because you, you know, we all aspire to, you know, to, you know, to improve. Hopefully we do. Well, and all, and all of those employees are starving for that connection as well. Right. It's funny. I did a call with a shaman earlier this year and she challenged me to not be the first person to leave every conversation. Yes, I was, I was, and I don't know where I was going, whether I was insecure or in a rush or just not being present or a combination of all of it, but I'd always seem to be the one to go, okay, see you. And I'd just be gone. So, and then my last, you know, the, the mantra that I, that I, uh, that I've adopted, which I never had before was operate, um, operate as a leader with a servant heart mm. and a business mind. It's great. So servant leadership it. is huge. Sean Magenis, president of and COO of YPO. Um, really great learning from you and sitting and listening to you again. And um, wonderful that we'd met 20 odd years ago. And thank you so much for being on the Second in Command podcast. You're the best, Cameron. Really appreciate our friendship. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Sean. Bye. Yeah, bye. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.